Hello and welcome to the Wise Guys Podcast. I'm John Tortorelli, Brand Capazello, and Justin Ray. This is episode 90, and today we will cover Kevin Durant's the NBA adding an in-season tournament, the new collective bargaining agreement, the newest Hall of Fame inductees, our top five contender rankings, Bill Belichick in the hot seat, and more. Let me tell you guys something. San Diego State's going all the way. Brandon, no. take it away, Mr. Connecticut. No, it's, listen, I can't speak on it much, but listen, UConn's taking it. We have dominated the competition. We have blown every team out that we have played in the tournament. We blew out Gonzaga. We just blew out Miami. You think San Diego State scares us? <laughs> Huskies all the way. Woo, 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 woo. Brandon's so confident he's going to go to Walmart today and buy his first ever UConn gear. No, 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 no. I'm going to buy it from their official website so I can support the boys. All right? That's but as I'm a going. Heat fan, Justin, he's got to buy a Shabazz Napier jersey because no other one will do it better. No, that's true. That's true. Heat legend. Not LeBron heat favorite. Legend. Well, there you go. LeBron favorite is true. The, the other part, not so much. Shabazz was picked in the first round, right? Yes, sir. And Pat Riley liked him enough, too. Take him 24th. And before we dive into the show, if you haven't already, be sure to like and follow for more content like this to get weekly NFL and NBA coverage. Plus, MLB as the baseball season finally kicks off, Jay Ray. And also, if you'd like to support the show, feel free to head over to our Patreon.com account to get some exclusive benefits. Yeah, let's get back to the show. The newest Phoenix Sun, Kevin Durant, went unplugged with Shams of the Athletic, saying... People are not going to think in a logical way or simply look at me at what I've done and say that's it. People are going to use mental gymnastics since I left the Warriors to discredit me every step of the way. Is Kevin Durant unfairly criticized? And the other question I think, the reality is, I think Kevin Durant's the Aaron Rodgers of the NBA. He is the closest thing to Michael Jordan. He watches MJ. And fans have spent decades looking for MJ. They got it in Kobe. Since Kobe, Katie's been the modern version of that. Five inches taller a better three-point shooter, and still one of the best defenders in the game. So I want to head to you guys. Which one of you want to start off first? Is Kevin Durant unfairly criticized? And does his legacy not get enough appreciation now while he's currently playing? You know, I, I'll say one thing. Uh, where I feel like KD is, is crapped on, and I feel like it's done wrongfully, is he was the best player on those Warriors teams. If you go back and watch those NBA Finals, uh, for instance, the one that they lost against the Raptors, they win that with KD on the floor because when KD was on the floor, Toronto wasn't stopping them. And then prior to that, Kevin Durant was was playing the best basketball that we've seen him play probably in his career, playing uh, with the Warriors because he, he, he didn't have to be that main guy. And even he didn't have to be the main guy, but realistically he was. He Every time he had the ball, you knew he was going to score. He was unstoppable when he was in Golden State, so I don't I I don't judge him too too much for that because I feel like those those titles in Golden State he was the best player on the floor he was the best player on that team and uh, the only thing that you can give him crap for really is just going to Golden State but after that I don't see I don't understand why we why why people criticize him just so much I mean yeah he's a top five player on the planet and. We want to see him win a title on his own. Sure, that's the only critique. You want to see him at least advance. He didn't get there with Brooklyn. See him do it without a super team. So I guess if that's what you want to argue, then that's fine. But if you're going to throw in the Golden State years, I think we're we're past that. We're 
How many years removed from that now? We're a failed stint in Brooklyn from that. Now we're in Phoenix. So get over it. Brandon. Okay. Ding dong. Hello. Um, first off, in terms of that Toronto point, uh, yeah, the reason that they were without KD, they were they were losing is because they gutted their team to get KD. If that Warriors team that had the um, the 73-9 record facing that team, they, they probably would have been a lot better competition for that Toronto. I have a lot of respect for Kawhi Leonard, so I probably would have favored Kawhi, but that's just me. One man's opinion doesn't mean everything. In terms of the KD move, listen, he has not been unfairly criticized. He has been rightly criticized, okay? The guy... The guy says now that he doesn't care about his legacy today. Um, I, again, I disagree with that. So we go back to why he left. Why he left OKC? Why did he leave OKC, guys? One word: legacy. Right. I've got. Why, a, why I got a second. That's two words: Russell Westbrook. Which was tied to needing to win a championship. I can't win one without Russell Westbrook. Therefore, legacy. Why did he go to Golden State? Legacy. Why did he leave Golden State? Legacy. Why did he join up with Kyrie Irving in Brooklyn? Legacy. Why did he want out of Brooklyn? Legacy. Do you see how that adds up? Now he says he doesn't care now. Actions speak louder than words, my guy. Just not even a year ago in the summer, you were demanding a trade. Why? legacy you realized you started to foreshadow oh this brooklyn nets team is not going to be good enough to win a championship i need to go where were his two options guys you remember that miami and phoenix weird miami was just in a game seven one shot away from being in the finals phoenix had just been to the finals two years prior or a year prior at that point so again and then and then it comes to the point of why go to Phoenix? Because if it's not about legacy, KD, which is what you're saying, you're lying. Because if it wasn't about legacy, why not go home? Why not go to Washington? Why not go to Charlotte? Why not go to Houston? Why not stay in Brooklyn? If it's not about legacy, if it's just truly about balling, I just want to go out there and play basketball. Why are you going to a team that now has probably the best odds to win the finals. Because if he goes to Washington, does Washington now have the best odds to win the finals? Probably not. Maybe a lot of people are like, whoa, now they're looking at Washington like, well, Bradley Beal, Christoph Porzingis, uh, Kyle Kuzma, if they keep everybody, right? Back in 2016, they would have been an Eastern Conference favorite. That's what I'm saying. And I was actually, I wanted that back then. I was like, go to Washington. It looks perfect. You got John Wall, Bradley Beal, and, and, and KD. That's a great three-man trio. So again, I just listen. I've I've toned my 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 my. It's not hatred. Just I don't hate anybody. Just more of a not much of a fan of KD. I've toned that down after the Golden State years because I feel like I've been more proven right in my point of. And, and I disagree with you, Justin. To me, Steph Curry was the best man on that team. He was the face of that franchise. He was the best player on that team. We can. Disagree. I'll give you face of the franchise, but I. I really think he was the best player on the floor. I, I don't – there's very few people Kevin Durant steps on the floor with and people are better than him. Yeah, I, I, I fundamentally disagree because he had a chance 
Uh, he was up 3-1 if we forget in a Western Conference final against the Golden State Warriors and what happened. He blew his 3-1 lead. And he was the best player on that team, was he not? And Steph Curry was the best player on the Golden State Warriors. But great he, teams. Everybody's okay, – but, but Steph Curry I, lost 73-9. and nine. They lost the NBA 100% finals. they did, but it seems everybody wipes 3-1 that uh, – goal that uh, okay Nobody. State. I don't think nobody forgets A that. A lot of people. They don't that's bring why, that up. That's why Kevin Durant gets crapped on for going to Golden State in the first place because he, he got knocked out by that team. Yeah, I know, but a lot of people sweep that under the rug. They sweep under the rug. They you know why they sweep that underneath the rug? It's because Sam Presti failed to build around Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. I said before, two words, Russell Westbrook. Part of it was they had no shooting around those two guys. So all of the expectations were put on KD's plate offensively, while Russ is shooting 40% in every single playoff series. Yeah. And defensively, they had some support, but there wasn't a reliable secondary shot maker. So he goes to Golden State. And at the time, the prevailing thought was LeBron's the best player in the world. Kevin Durant's the second, and Steph Curry's the third. After that, we can have our Kawhis, our James Hardens, and all those other point guards that are really good. But I think most NBA fans, myself included, which Justin would agree, KD was the next best player after LeBron James. And he was, in my eyes, we think back at this era, it may sound crazy to say because Steph has had a lot more success, but I think of Kevin Durant as the face after LeBron before I think of Steph Curry. And it's not, and the reason why I say that is not from a perspective of, popularity because Steph is the way more popular player but who was the better player at their peak I think it was KD for his two-way versatility now we're close there I just feel like the Thunder failed to build around KD and with the Nets a lot of things went poorly that he could not control so yeah Steph way more popular player I have Steph higher all time he has a greater legacy than Kevin Durant because he was the face of a franchise that won four championships but when I think back at the best player from this era Braun Katie, Steph. Yeah, I, I, all those are fair points. Uh, to the OKC not building around him, uh, to a degree, I, I I agree with you. Obviously, not not willing to pay the luxury tax to keep James Harden was an obvious failure. But you got to remember, you, we all remember they drafted all those guys: KD, Russell Westbrook, James Harden. Uh, did they draft Ibaka? Yeah, I think they may have acquired him. Um, uh, Reggie Jackson. Uh, and, and, and all these other guys that I'm probably forgetting right now. Steven Adams, I'm pretty sure, right? Enos Cantor. Uh, they drafted all these guys, and they built. Now, yes, the James Harden was a, was just not a smart move. You got to pay the money if you want to have that big three. I'm not I, – I, I'm just saying in terms of – and the best player, I know that I'm, I'm, I'm kind of on an island alone where I think Steph Curry was, but we got to remember where we were at that time. Steph had just come off winning a championship, right? Didn't get the finals MVP, which I think everybody can understand that he he rightfully deserved that MVP. And then throughout that season, the 73 and 9 season, there were legitimate talks, and you can Google this, YouTube it, um, on mainstream sports, um, TV show, radio, whatever you want to talk about. Is Steph Curry surpassing LeBron as the best player in the world? Is he surpassing LeBron as the face of the NBA? Those conversations were being had. KD was not in that conversation. Uh, I agree. John, it, when you say face, that's why I was like instantly react, but you, you you prefaced it. So that's where I think maybe face isn't the right word, that KD was second after LeBron, because it, it's got to be Steph, because the pop it, to me, and I texted you guys this after we had that superstar debate, there's only two megastars in the NBA. It's LeBron and Steph Curry. That, that's it. Um, they've transcended the brand. So for me, I, I just I think Steph drove that train of that Golden State Warriors team to me 
and KD joined in. And I just think, and, and I've heard, listen, uh, Draymond talk about it. Tyron Lue even, even um, agreed, uh, not agreed, but co-signed Draymond's thoughts where he said, Steph was the one getting double teamed more in the finals. And then Ty Lue said, yeah, that's true. We were double teaming Steph a lot more than KD. I, I just feel like for me, I take Steph Curry and I agree. Listen, I'm one guy who usually takes defense in the highest consideration. It's just when I look at Steph Curry, guy's the greatest shooter to ever live, greatest three-point shooter to ever live. Michael Downs is the greatest, just literal all-around shooter ever to live. He revolutionized the game. It's hard for me um, to put KD over him when KD went to his unit. So that's where I, I disagree, and I understand I might be on an island alone. But I feel like I've been proven right too when Steph Curry won the fi- just won the finals what two uh, last year without KD he did it again so a hundred percent. But here's the thing: Steph Curry, greater brands, more popular yes. player, and he's clearly got the greater legacy. Steph Curry had Draymond Green, one of the greatest defenders of our generation. Steve Kerr, one of the greatest coaches of our generation, that maximized Draymond and really made him the player he was by putting him at the center spot to close games. Clay Thompson, who we've had debates on the show. Brand, you thought Clay Thompson at some points was a top 15 player, and he wasn't far off from that, even though I disagreed. And then you had Andre Iguodala, one of the best six men in the game. Kevin Durant did not have that coach in Scott Brooks. He didn't have that defensive player of the year or that shooter in Clay Thompson. He had a player in Russell Westbrook who struggled to coexist with stars in that point of his career. And so I think that is the thing here. While Steph has four championships, two more, or technically two more without KD, KD's only got two. So much about championships and sports is about the best teams with the best stars. Kevin Durant was one of the best stars, but he never had the support. And a lot of things, like I said before, whether it was poor trades, questionable roster decisions, or just guys getting injured, like in 2021, the Nets are winning the championship that year. If they stayed healthy, they were going to win a title. Unfortunately, they got injured. The same way the Warriors last year got healthy at the perfect time, and if they were not healthy, they were not going to the finals. They were fortunate enough to get Draymond Rat back, Steph back, Paul playing relatively well in some series, and Andrew Wiggins playing the basketball of his life. So, so much about championships, which we overlook, is the simple reality. You need to be healthy because the championship is the survival of the fittest. And so that's where I start to reject that point. I, I agree with you on all your points except for one. Um, listen, do I agree that was it harder for KD to, to, to win with Russell Westbrook and the coaches he had? Yes, 100%. The style of basketball that OKC Thunder team played was more solo basketball hero ball. I I, I understand that. Um, and KD had a lot to do with that too because he is kind of – I know he, he can mesh into any team, but he is at the end of the day a, a solo guy. Like he can just go get his own bucket if he really wants to and take over a game. What I push back on is we can't forget that that team that he had – where you say he didn't have the support system, they made it to a finals as babies. They won a game against the Miami Heat, that big three, in the finals. That team had, different team, but Westbrook and and KD had a 3-1 lead in the Western Conference Finals over the defending champions, Golden State Warriors. They had a 3-1 lead. So that same talent that you say cost them brought them to those points. And where I'll say this is I'll finish it off. When you're a great player, we expect you to do things others cannot. 
And that's my whole point. He didn't get it done. So when you say that he had the support system, finals, conference finals, 3-1 lead, seems like he had just enough support system to get to those points. You just needed one game in the 3-1 lead to get to the finals. So that that's my whole pushback. And then he went to the Warriors, and the whole discussion and narrative around Kevin Durant changed. And it's not a coincidence. It's not. And I, I don't hold – I'll let you go, Justin. I don't hold step that against Steph that – because you got to remember this, John, at the points. Before they won the championship, who was Draymond Green? A second-round nobody. Who was Klay Thompson? Who was Steph Curry, a guy who was injury-prone that we might – people had questions, could he have a long career? And he's 35 now, playing insane that we just talked about. Yeah. So uh, you got to remember at these times – and remember Steve Kerr, too. Mark Jackson was fired. And people were like, what are you doing? There were questions. So you got to remember at those points, now we look at them and we understand what they are, but at the points they were different. So that's my whole pushback with that. Go ahead, Justin. I know you want to say. I think the the, the truth is too, when it comes to Golden State and, and him going out there and, and not sticking with OKC, I really do believe regardless of what John said about, you know, building around Kevin Durant, I think that was still Golden State's direct competition in the Western Conference. If Kevin Durant stays in the West, I, I, I'd say with confidence that the it's them and the Spurs. Get, it's huh? them in the Spurs. It's, yeah, that, it's OKC, Golden State, and the Spurs back then. I, I believe that OKC still finds their way to get to another NBA Finals. I mean, they were a game away from doing that against Golden State. Who's to say they couldn't have done it again with a, a full off season of retooling uh, or a couple seasons of retooling? I, I don't know. man. So that's why I guess I understand why Kevin Durant gets the slander he does going to Golden State, because you still could have built something in OKC. I don't think just because you lost 3-1, you hit rock bottom there. Um, you were still in a better situation than what? How many more teams in the Western Conference? The next year, you probably were the odds on favorite to get to that same place the next season and the next season because you had who you had on your team. Um I just think it, it still – I stick with Stephen A. Smith when he says the weakest NBA move in NBA history it, it easily was. You can't beat him, join him. If he would have went to, like you said, Washington, uh, back then I was rooting for him to go to Boston. If he went to any other franchise outside of Golden State, it would have been, okay, he just wanted a fresh start. That's fine. But going to a team that knocked you out is forever going to be weak. But regardless – um. I still believe I, I believe he was the best player on the floor when he was on Golden State. He was the best player in those NBA finals. Um, and he's still a top five basketball player in the world when he's healthy. So but it is a shame because we can argue about what ifs and shoulda, woulda, couldas, because if he would have stayed in OKC, I really do believe that they find their way at least to another NBA finals. Mm-hmm. And one possibility, Justin, around the NBA, Kevin Durant this year has missed a good amount of time. And now the NBA is bringing a new CBA, collective bargaining agreement. If they did not agree to this, there could have been a lockout going to next season. The biggest news is that the NBA is at an in-season tournament for the first time ever. Now, we've seen this in the WNBA. We saw the NBA add in the playing tournament back in 2020 during the bubble season, trying to get stars in like Zion to the postseason. A lot of people are reacting strongly to the in-season tournament. The question I have, BC, I saw you're one of those people is the in-season tournament facts? Oh, that's a bad way to say Is the in-season tournament fire or trash? What do you think? 
hot garbage. Hot garbage. Absolutely. I, I, I think that it is absolutely ridiculous and stupid, to be honest with you. Uh, I think that them thinking this is going to get people to tune in more or for players to care more is absolutely ludicrous and and, and a little funny, honestly, because um, I have seen uh, just a bunch of comments. I actually watched your video, John, on TikTok that you made and the comments. I, I know you probably saw the comments in there about how confusing it was or how stupid it was and blah, blah, blah. And it is. Listen, what's the incentive? All I've seen is you get to, if you win the thing, if you win the in-season tournament, 500K per player, and I guess per coach too, right? The, the hell is that? That's chump change. These guys are making 20 million a year, upward, 500K? Yeah, that might mean something to the, the 14th or 13th guy on the roster, 15th guy on the roster, or the, the, the assistant to assistant to assistant coach or whatever. Sure, but how does that incentivize a LeBron James? How does that incentivize a Steph Curry, a Kawhi Leonard to play these games or, or whatever? And, and then and then the, the one thing that really set me off is the 83rd game. If you win this tournament, Two teams have to play an extra 83rd game. That means nothing to the playoffs or the regular season. It means nothing. You just win cash prize. And like I just said, it's chump change to these guys. So what are we doing? Are we going forwards or are we going backwards, guys? Are we caring about players? We're going forwards. No, we're not. We're going backwards. If we're adding another game that means nothing, what happens if a LeBron James goes down in that game? What happens if an AD goes down? A Steph, a Kawhi, a KD. What happens then? What do you think the fan outrage is going to be in a meaningless game like a Pro Bowl or an All-Star game? This guy goes down. What do you mean no? How are you nodding your head no? Do we care about player safety or not, John? We do. But first and foremost, this is the 1,000th, 231st game of the season. In the NBA calendar, there are 1,230 games. You're adding one game to that. Here's the thing. Part of what wait, I didn't wait, get wait, to mention, wait, wait. No, the to, NBA and the CBA is adding in a huge provision to NBA awards and also all NBA teams where there is a criteria meter. You have to play 65 games or more. So in some ways, if a player gets injured and missed a couple of months, that 83rd game for a young star trying to get a max contract in an offseason or two, that could be pretty useful. Wait, wait. You're... Okay, I got two points. First off, to that thousandth game, you're just adding one more. Here's what I'm going to give to you. In my life, I, I, I had an epiphany. When I was a preteen, teenager, kid, I used to litter. Didn't have a care in the world, right? Then at one point, I thought to myself, why do I litter? It's because I, I, I fooled myself into thinking, oh, it's just one piece of paper. It's just one piece of plastic. It doesn't matter. How many people in the world do you think have that same attitude? I'd say a lot, a majority, to be honest with you. That adds up. So that one game that you just say, you just dismiss, can't do it. Second point to that. You were just telling me when we were debating on text about college basketball and Brandon Miller, should he stay or should he go? You were telling me he should go to the NBA because he can risk getting injured. Now you're saying an 83rd game for a, for a guy can mean the world. Guess what? It could also end his hype or 
hurt his career if he snaps something, sprains something, breaks something. No hope, knock on wood, that it doesn't happen. But this is basketball. This is sports. This is contact sports. Things happen. Well, college, the pros is much different. I, I'm not – well, see, you're, you're trying to be slick. I'm not saying that. I'm saying it's basketball. It's a contact sport. Anything can happen. We, we've seen freak injuries. We've seen it happen. Guys just land for a dunk and their freaking leg snaps. Anything can happen. It's sad, but it's true. So for you, I, I don't want – again – I'm not disagreeing with the 65 game minimum for awards. I like that. I'm not disagreeing with the other things in the CBA. Cause I am, I liking what I'm hearing in other things The the NBA players being allowed to invest in the teams can get a little tricky. I'm not sure about that, but everything else I'm liking it's I'm hyper-focusing on this in season tournament leading to an 83rd game. If we care about player safety and we've been talking we literally had a conversation, I think, a month or two ago, John, about players, younger players getting injured even more often, okay, and how it's insane the, the number of injuries that these young players are going through. We cannot continue to say we want to shorten the regular season, not only to get fans to care more, but also to have player safety. We can't be saying that and then in the other breath be saying this 83rd game, it's just another game. It's 1,032 games, just the 33rd game. Who, who cares? It can be major for this with discrediting that it could also change the trajectory of a career or a team's point. If the Denver Nuggets are a team that makes it to that in-season tournament finals and their starters are playing, and God forbid a Jamal Murray, a Jokic, or a Michael Porter Jr. goes down and they're the number one seed, how do you think that that impacts their odds of winning a championship? They're probably getting bounced in the first round if one of those guys goes down. Maybe. Definitely probably second round. You you have to take those into consideration. I despise this 83rd game. It's going backwards. It's not going forwards for every point I just made. you Didn't we talk about possibly lowering – the, yes. the amount of games in the NBA. Yes. Not we, too long I think ago. we all agreed on like 65 yeah. to 60 games too. Yeah, I, I was saying even 70, 72. Yeah. That, I think that's where I was at, but you guys are saying 65. I, I think adding an 83rd game is pointless. And like Brandon says, that doesn't, you're not making the game go forward. Sure. And in in season tournament, to be honest with you, that's who's that pulling? You. It's going to no, pull it's you, not. Justin. It's yes, it not. is. We're telling you, John. Because, we're because telling my, you we're my, not a couple hearing. of my guys are going to make a, a little bit more money? It's not that. This in-season tournament is going to make pre-Christmas or maybe Christmas basketball more entertaining. It's because not. they're going to get better matchups earlier in the season. The way this works, I didn't mention this. It's going to be big since the regular season schedule. I did make a TikTok and people are like, can someone explain this in NBA terms? This moron couldn't. The way it works... It's the top eight teams from either conference. They go head-to-head in a single elimination game. That's already a part of their schedule. What makes this more interesting is the quality of the matchups. No one likes the playing tournament when they made it. But when you got to see John Morant versus Steph Curry, you were watching. When you got to see LeBron versus Steph in the playing tournament, you were watching. Now, of course, those games had more at stake because it was playoffs or go home. But in this case, people love watching great Christmas basketball because you have the premier stars going head-to-head. When we get LeBron versus KD, it's amazing. That's what the league's about. 
And so in these matchups, you're getting higher profile games and young players playing for more because they're getting a little bit extra Dell for just one extra game, 500k, that's not bad. And because players are competitive and they have that bone, that DNA in their body, they're going to compete at the highest levels. They're being incentivized to play more games and not sit out. And so in my eyes, this is going to be a tournament at first people aren't going to love, but there's no risk here. There is, of course, risk with the 83rd game, but there's risk in any game a player gets hurt. So yes, the 1,231st game could lead to an injury, but so could the 1,230 others. You know, this is kind of like if you have an ant issue, you're trying to plug it with all, like, you basically take every ant and you flush it in the toilet. That's not going to be the difference, adding one extra game. The difference in actually preventing player injuries and limiting it is maybe putting an ant trap down, the same way you limit the game to 10 games. I agree with you guys. 82 games is too much. 83rd's not that much of a difference, though. I think maybe 73 games, with the 73rd being for two teams out of the 30 in the league being extra, that would be a better way to really reinforce we care about player safety. So I'm not disagreeing with you on that part, but what this ultimately comes down to is better high-quality matchups in October, November, and December. And for smaller market teams that want to get really good TV deals on national television, they're going to get that because the NBA wants this to work. So they're going to market these games. So for smaller market teams like the Midwards, they're going to love this tournament. I got it. No disagreement with the head-to-head the -head matchups being better overall, right? Higher-ranked teams going up against each other. Yeah, sure. Um, the problem with those, with them not succeeding to the level they want to in October, November, December, I mean, I feel like it's pretty obvious. Does anybody have an answer why they're not that highly watched in those months? NFL. Ding, ding, ding. Circle gets the square. Johnny, tell him what he's won. Of course, it's the NF freaking L. They run everything in those months. This is not going... And obviously, if it's not on Sunday, you'll get people to tune in. Here's an idea. How about have like baseball has? Games throughout the day. Start at 12 p.m. Have a day where there's no football on Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. I know is college football, but there's, there's no games on those days. Take over the day. Take over. You put these games at 8 p.m., 9 p.m., 10 p.m. East Coasters ain't not worth it, man, especially on a work night. Come on. There's other ways and strategies to go about it. And again, my whole point is that 83rd game. I just, I find it absolutely just, I'm thinking of the what if scenario. What if a guy like, you know, a big time player goes down that completely ruins the playoff. And because it's going to happen right before the playoffs. That can complete, is it not? This is going to happen in November. The, the final game. The final, yeah, the final, final game is going to be in early, early season. So how are they going to work that? What do you mean? Like the, the matchup. So when the winners match up, how are they going to work that? Are they going to just change the I reckon wherever? it'll be the top eight teams in the standings, and then they'll just continue with the season the way it is. So they'll just wait. So so it won't be like leading up to a game. If the game happens to take place in mid-February, the championship game, they'll just wait until mid-February. They won't flex it earlier? No, the, the tournament, the, the finale, like the, the mid-season tournament game, that's going to be in December. So it sounds like... Yeah, the, the only Very thing, confusing. yeah, how, but how are they going to, so they're going to flex the games if, if like, let's say, cause you're saying they're going to match up with each other, right? But it's going to be in, in the, the context of the regular season matchups anyway. Yeah, that'll so be in December. When the, so, so like, let's say, cause they don't know who the winner is going to be. So 
Phoenix and Boston are the two teams that win and go to head to head. They're going to have to take a game that those two teams are going to play against each other and flex it to match up with the in-season tournament. You know, you get what I'm saying? Or am I being a little, I understand it might be a little confusing because I'm confusing myself, but you get what I'm saying? So like, that's what I'm saying. So they're going to flex a game from like, let's say it, it might've happened in, if you look at the schedule, it might happen in April or March. They're going to take that game and pull it to end of December. Is that what, is that what is, or does anybody know the answer to that question? To make it very simple, this game's happening in December. That's it. That's the end of the in-season tournament. And so here's the thing. The in-season tournament would have been a better idea if it guaranteed you a top six spot in the playoffs so you could avoid the playing tournament. That way, veterans and stars, they don't have to worry about the risk of missing the playoffs because now they're guaranteed a spot in December. And you're not giving them a guaranteed top two or top three spot so we don't have an average team gain on realistic seating. But you're giving them a top six position to avoid those extra days, those extra games in the season, and you're getting a full week of rest no matter what happens to your team. Like, let's say the Bucks deal with a bunch of injuries. If they win the in-season tournament, this is my idea. This is not what's going to happen. You get that top six seed, and now you're sitting pretty comfortable with a lot more security. So is I thought that, that was is that, is that is that a guaranteed in the in the thing? It's so seeding is as no, well. As no, as... that that's my idea. Oh, okay, okay, I th- okay, I get what you're saying. Okay. Um, Dude, that yeah. that would be a lot more interesting because there's so much more at stake. But... I don't think, but that that's not going to happen. Now. Yeah, I, that, the CBA just much. got signed. So when is that up? So that's not going to happen. Twenty twenty. Yeah. So that that's not even going to. I I just I, I it makes it a little better that that the in season tournament the last game isn't going to happen at the end of the season. Um, it's just I. Uh, I don't know, man. I feel like it's we, we should be negotiating for less games. I, I truly, but I believe that the NBA doesn't need more; it needs less. Less is more. It's one of the reasons the NFL is super successful. There's 17 game season. It should be 16, but they add another one. It's just less is all is usually always better. So, John, you think this is a good idea for the NBA? I think the risk is very minimal. Okay. Could there be an injury in this game? Yes, there could in any other game. So the, the positives of getting more fan interest in better games in the season will get more fans to tune in. And ultimately, what's the worst that happens? It doesn't work out. And then six years on the negotiating UCBA, they take it out. Uh, like I the in-season the tournament, it's a new idea and it's going to take years for it to really actually be executed. Uh-huh. The in-season tournament is a question. We've seen with the playing tournament, that's a pretty good idea that I think a lot of NBA fans enjoy because it makes the end of the season more interesting and do puts, enjoy, John, do you enjoy the plan? I do. I love watching the plan. Me and John, me and Justin. Are I don't. Oh, you don't. Wa- you don't like watching last year. The I'm not saying I don't like. I'm not saying I don't like watching it if it's a great matchup. I'm saying I don't care for it. Listen, you and my whole point of why I don't care for it is you had 82 games to get a top eight seed. Now we're rewarding teams that are in 10 and nine. You, I agree with that. How is that? I don't. That's I, separate. That's. Yeah. The in-season tournament, the mid, sorry, the playing tournament. I'm getting confused. The playing tournament gave us one of the greatest memes. Patrick Beverly at the scores table. Every year yeah. we have a great moment in the in-season tournament or the the well, mid. Playing tournament. I, I, you, you I know, but expect that because of how yeah. much is at stake. Yeah, but how That's how why. often how often is the West going to be super stacked like it is, where mm-hmm. you have a LeBron James as a ten seed? Or the Pelicans as a as a nine seed, or whatever the case. It's that's not always going to be the case. Right now, the West is, in terms of star power and talent, is insanely stacked. It goes nine, ten deep. The East is a little bit, you know, more top heavy. Well, that's eventually going to even out again. It's well, eventually going to think about out. this way: Zion's in the playing tournament currently. LeBron's in it. 
Anthony Edwards. What about Shane the Kansas East? Alexander. How about the East? Yeah, exactly. That's my Jimmy point. Butler. Okay, that's again. Trey yeah. Young. No, look at. Let me give give me the nine and ten. Savar DeRozan. Oh. The Raptors and the Bulls. Yeah, the Raptors and Bulls. Yeah, that's yeah. my. Point. It's actually but, hilarious to me that the Wizards are trying to win games and they're not even going to make the playing tournament. Like they have thirty four wins. If you want, that's the whole point. Is again, you had eighty two games to get there, and well, now you're the gonna Wizards are clowns. That's that. I, I understand that different. the plan is there to incentivize these, uh, you know, bottom feeders to to take regular season basketball a little bit more seriously rather than just go out, out there and tank. But whoever comes out of the plan is probably not making any noise anyway. I, for me, it's just if you're one through eight, you play eighty two games in a regular season. If you can't make the top eight seeds in those 82 games, then you do not belong. I don't want to watch you play another game. You didn't make it. It's fine. Move on. Let's move on to the NBA playoffs. Like I said, sure, you're going to create some great moments with the playing tournament because there's so much at stake. But like I said, you play 82 games to get a top eight seed. And now in this case, a top six seed. Dude, it's it's. I don't care for it. I, I maybe I'm just old school and going by yeah, what I what I, I grew up that. on. It's, it's, you're right, but, Justin. I and also I just thought of this. It's going to extend the season to another day. So now it's going to be what April 10th or 11th, bro. Does anybody actually really care about April basketball until the playoffs start? I care about it. The four, the last that's four the, games. Knicks fans love it. That's all they get. Oh, okay, that's a shot. That's wow, I didn't take that shot, Justin. I didn't take that shot. Yeah, the last four games don't really mean much in terms of anything, really. I mean, it can right now it means a lot in the seeding of the West because it's been so tight. But it's this has been like the tightest West we've or conference we've seen in probably ever. Um, we don't usually see that. So this this April run, I for me personally, I do away with April regular season basketball. I I I, I it. Let's get into like like Justin said. Let's just get to the freaking playoffs, man. At this point, I think every NBA fan, I think John even too, is just like, let's get to the freaking playoffs. Let's do it, man. Let's see it. We we see what's going on. I don't think the last four games are going to change your opinion on anybody, and I don't think they should. If it does, I, I think that you're 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 not you're not looking or thinking the right way. So I think everybody, every NBA fan, every casual NBA fan, or whatever. Should be thinking, let's get to the freaking playoffs already. All NBA teams and player voting, number one, they have a minimum games required of 65 or more. There may be a few like exceptions. Maybe let's say you get into C19 protocols and like those games, they want to get deducted. But part of it is now all NBA teams are positionless. So Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid saved the center position. They've been the top two candidates in the MVP race the last three years. To me, more so top three, I love Giannis. And now they're making all NBA teams positionless because of how great Jokic and Embiid have been as the two best players in the world in the regular season. Well, I, I guess it really doesn't matter. Uh, all NBA teams don't really uh, mean too much to me. I guess in the long term, when you when you de- make your debates and, and we're talking Hall of Fame stuff, that's when they really come up. But I, I guess it really doesn't matter. I mean, it's fair. Jokic and, and Embiid have, have stole the show this year and, and last year. Guys like Giannis and them too. So I, I think that's more than fine. I don't think anybody would be arguing that. Is there anybody arguing that? Uh, no. No. I think it's, I, I'm a huge proponent of it though, just because all NBA matters for Hall of Fame cases a lot more than All Star teams because it's the full season. All Star is only half of the year. And I feel like 
getting just the best 15 players in the world is a lot more reasonable opposed to top three centers, top three, or top six forwards and top six guards. It's not just, all right, just give us the best players in the league. Mm -hmm. Some other changes include for teams in the deeper power, for teams in the high end paying over the tax apron or above the, what would it be considered? Second level. For teams $17.5 million over the tax line, which would be the hard cap, they can no longer use the tax pyramid level exception. So for teams like the Bucks that signed Joe Ingles, the Warriors signed Donathan DiVincenzo, that won't happen for these stacked teams playing, paying out the wazoo four stars. I think that's one good addition. And there have been a couple of other notes, um, to me, not as notable. But I really feel like the in-season tournament, to me, gets a little bit of a thumbs up. We still have to see it. The All-NBA changes, I'm a huge fan. Same goes for player voting. And I like the league really giving teams that are paying out the wazoo like the Clippers a harder time to build their rosters. I think that's a good thing because it gets unfair for a lot of these smaller markets that don't have that same affordability. I would say um, in terms of that point, the, the, the second level salary cap, I guess you would call it, it seems like they're playing like, what's the game? Um, I forgot the game called, but it just seems like they're they're playing like like they're like not like they're on the fence. I guess is the best way I could phrase it. Like they want teams to spend the money, right? But they're also like, well, if you do, we're gonna penalize you. It, it just seems like choose a side, you know, hop off the fence and pick pick one of the sides. Either you want a hard salary cap and you want parity like the NFL or you don't. So then don't, you know, penalize teams that are willing to do that. I, I, I saw, I'll just throw this out there. I saw Draymond Green, Green's tweets about this. Uh, he said, quote, players lose again. Shake my head. Middle and lower spectrum teams don't spend because they don't want to. They want to lose, so increase their spending capabilities just to increase them. They continue to cut out the middle, and this is what we rushed into a deal for. Uh, I, I, I kind of tend to agree with him. It just seems like these lower marketed teams, whether the case they want to, or whether the case they just suck at it, uh, it, it just seems the NBA needs to pay pick a side to be honest with you either you you're going to be like the nfl and have a hard salary cap or you're not like don't uh, this this you know dangling the carrot in front of them or whatever is just it's it just weird to me maybe it's just me it's just a little weird that they're that they're doing that i agree with you i think there should be a hard salary cap but then again for these teams that have all the money where's the staff the celtics one of the two biggest franchises yeah. the lakers usually not this year the Nets, Clippers, those are huge markets. So you yeah. want those huge markets to have an easier time building rosters. Like the Lakers, like they've done a lot of things wrong, but because it's the Lakers and the Los Angeles market, they've had an easier time than others building their. That's teams. what I'm saying. Like, like I it think there is like, a middle ground yeah. where you can be different like, than the NFL, but also not give these bigger markets the full entree, only part of the entree, which is hey, look, you go over the luxury. I like the MLB. And the hard cap, but you like can't. But you can't also. Here's the difference. So non-taxpaying teams have a larger level exception. So let's say you're, I don't know, the Sacramento yeah. Kings. You sign Malik Monk for two years, $19 million, nine and a half. You can sign him up to 11. And so you have a larger mid-level exception mm -hmm. than teams that are in the tax. There's about $7 million. 
So, so now you're just cutting off that, that asset that non-tax paying teams have to the taxpayers that are already spending so much money. The Warriors adding in Donati DiVincenzo is unfair and it's kind of overpowered because they have their own arena printing money. And so they're just every single, every couple of years adding one of these new high level role players for nothing that many of these non-tax paying teams, they should have that one advantage, I think, over bigger markets. It seems like the NBA, because I'm not super familiar with the MLB, but I'm pretty sure they have the softest cap in sports. Um, there is no salary cap. Yeah. So um, I think the only ones higher may be hockey, and I think soccer is definitely the highest one. Um, oh, my God, look at John. His bottle has literally disappeared. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so it seems like the NBA is is kind of always been in the middle of the NFL and the MLB. And I just like, John, again, the way you explained it is just exactly like, it seems like they're just dangling the carrot, like choose a side, man. Like either you want these big time market teams to have advantages or you want the, it to be like more like the NFL where there's parody and, and there's uh, a team like, um, you know, the Indianapolis Colts when they got Andrew Luck and go from two and one and whatever to, you know, making the playoffs or whatever. Sure. The NBA has one of the most stacked Hall of Fame classes we've got in recent memory. Brandon, he gets his guy Dwayne Wayne's Hall of Fame, my guy Dirk Nowitzki. We get Tony Parker, Greg Popovich, Becky Hammond, and Pau Gasol. And it's pretty cool. In a day and age where half the league superstars are international players, Luka, Giannis, Embiid, Jokic, so on and so forth, this Hall of Fame class is representative of that. Pau Gasol from Spain. You get... Dirk from Germany, Tony Parker from France, and then I think Manu Ginobili's up next soon, Argentina's very own. It's really awesome to see while the league is getting more and more international, that so is the Hall of Fame, globalizing. I think Pau Gasol is one of the most underappreciated stars because he helped Kobe get his fourth and fifth reigns. And Dwayne Wade, man, this is awesome. This is one of my favorite Hall of Fame classes. Wade County! Well-deserved um, favorite player of all time. Reason I became a basketball fan. Reason I'm a Miami Heat fan. Dwayne freaking Wade. I love this jersey, by the way. The color is just – just No, that's, that's sick. Yeah. Nice. Um, I, I I looked up greatest Hall of Fame classes ever, right, because I wanted to compare them. You have the 09 class of MJ, David Robinson, and Stockton, right? Then you have the 2020 class, which I think is probably – looked at as maybe the best you know mj being an 09 might give them the edge but 2020 kobe duncan and garnett that's top level stuff and then this year is just i think overall this year might be the best of all time um they don't have somebody that's looked at as the greatest player but they have a hell i mean Dwayne wade third greatest shooting guard of all time uh and and i think universally loved and appreciated by nba fans you got dirk Nowitzki, top three top two power forward of all time pal gasol top 10 power forward of all time you got tony parker a four-time champion in the nba finals is, mvp yep finals mvp too you got becky hammond who i think was a champion in the WNBA as a player and just won a WNBA championship as a coach right if i'm, I'm not mistaken okay and then you have who I believe is the greatest head coach in basketball history is uh, Greg Popovich pop. Uh, so I, I think this class is just so well-rounded. I mean, what a class. Uh, I love it. You know, and these are players that, I mean, Wade, Dirk, Powell, 
Tony Parker, Pop, the coach. These are players that I, I, you know, were the early, you know, memories of my NBA uh, uh, fandom. So, yeah. shout out to the twenty twenty three NBA Hall of Fame class. Well deserved and well earned. I was gonna say that, Brandon. I think one of the true signs that I'm getting old is that all these players that are getting inducted into the Hall of Fame now are the people that I was watching when I fell in love with the sport. So guys like Wade, Dirk, Powell, Pop, all these people uh, are the people that, I, you know, made me fall in love with the sport of basketball. But one thing that's so special about this class, and I'd say this about any player, what makes a player so special, if they are a, a, a true legend or a Hall of Famer, is you forget the bad years. You know, you forget the bad years. We don't talk about Tony Parker playing with the Hornets. We don't talk about uh, Dwayne Wade playing in Cleveland. We don't talk about Pau Gasol, and, and even though he actually was successful in Chicago, but we don't we don't really talk about those years so much because they were, were so, you know, I'm trying to find the words for it, but we're so captivated by their their best years, uh, mm-hmm. Wade's championship years in Miami, even before LeBron. Man. We talked Powell with Kobe, that duo, and how unstoppable that was. Dirk's insane finals run to knock off LeBron. We can talk about these moments forever, forever, and they'll always live on. We'll never talk about them declining. We'll never talk about how Father Time finally caught up with them. Uh, it's It's a special class. And a class that, one, I'm grateful for because, like I said, th- these are people we all grew up watching. You know, damn, I'm getting old, man. I am getting old. I've tried to do some research as to why Greg Popovich is eligible, still as a head coach, because in my time as an NBA fan, I, I figured it would have been the same as players. You have five full years. But apparently Greg Popovich has resisted being in the Hall of Fame. Now he goes in at the same time as two of his former players and one of his former assistants. Man, I feel like Pau Gasol is one of the most underappreciated players of all time, though. And a lot of people won't give him the credit in this class. One of the greatest players ever from Spain, his brother, brother, of course. Two-time champ, four-time All-NBA, six-time All-Star for three different franchises in two separate decades. I mean, Pau is 35 years old in Chicago, helping them in the in the post Derrick Rose era really extend a contending prime, winning 50 games for them in 2015. And he was always overshadowed by KG, Dirk, and Duncan. But he was a guy that in Memphis was also leading 48 playoff win, 48 win playoff teams. And I feel like um, maybe I'm a Grizzlies fan, so I appreciate him more than other people. It's not like I watched him. I mean, he was drafted before I was born, two years before. But Pau Gasol, to me, he is a, a, a top 50, top 40 player of all time. And I, I, I think he really should be remembered. I don't know if he will be remembered. We were talking about NBA champions before, so it's only right we discuss this year with about a week left in the regular season, a week and a half, our top five playoff contender rankings. Who's going first, fellas? Let me take the reins. I want to start from one because it's my fifth team. It's probably going to cause the most controversy, so I'm going to start from one. Number one. I'm keeping them there. They were my preseason pick to go to the NBA Finals out of the Eastern Conference. Is the John looked like he was about to have a heart attack. Um, the Boston Celtics. Uh, I I believe that they are still the best overall team in basketball right now. I think they're the deepest team, uh, and I also think that they have something to prove. I think a lot of people are underrating them. I think a lot of people are just picking Milwaukee because Milwaukee has the best player on the court. And because they believe if Chris Middleton was there last year, Milwaukee would have put up a much better shot and probably would have won. 
but I think we forget about this with Boston. In the finals, uh, one of the obviously the turnovers were an insane part of it. Jalen Brown and, and Jason Tatum were were getting cookied left and right. But one issue was they didn't have a guy to really set them up, put them into their right sets. And we begged, um, not just us, but NBA fans, Boston Celtics fans, probably even a lot more, for a true point guard, somebody to set them up. Do we forget? They fixed that. They added that man, Malcolm Brogdon. I believe he is 48, 40, and 90 this year. So very close to – he's already done 50, 40, 90 once. I would expect a more assist. I think he's at 3.7, but probably coming off the bench, it's probably you know lesser. But they've got that guy now. They fixed the one issue that we looked at and said, this is the issue with the Celtics. They don't have a true point guard. They fixed that. So that's why I keep the Celtics as my number one team. I know the head coach is brand new. He's done a great job in the regular season, and the playoffs is a different beast, so he's going to have to prove himself all over again, but I have faith. Number two, the Phoenix Suns. In my opinion, in Justin's opinion, they are a super team. Uh, the concerns with this team are the injuries, obviously. Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and KD all have injury histories. KD literally, what, th- not even three days ago, just came back. Uh and I believe this is one question mark that hasn't been spoken on. Will the chemistry be there late in playoff games? Will it be there? Because they haven't played that often together. And I know it's running smoothly now in the regular season. But we all know the playoffs are a different animal. And when the game gets tight and the fans get a little more rowdy and maybe you're on the road and you're down, things might get a little, you know, choppy. So that's an interesting thing to look at. Number three, I got the Milwaukee Bucks. Giannis Antetokounmpo, uh, I believe the third candidate in the MVP race right now. Their only question is, is Middleton going to be 100% ready to go full throttle for the playoffs? I know he's playing a lot more recently, uh, but they still have to put it all together. And they're just right there for me with that one question mark. It's just, is Chris Middleton? And I, I, I am not the biggest believer in Drew Holiday offensively. Uh, he's a very, very good playmaker, an elite defender. It's just as a scorer and a shooter, uh, he's very streaky, and, and I don't trust it that much. So if Middleton doesn't show up, you're going to have to lean on him, and we saw how that worked out last year. Number four, we got the Denver Nuggets, Johnny Boy's team. They got Jokic, who I believe is going to be crowned the uh, – three-time MVP back-to-back-to-back this year. Damn near averaging a triple-double. I mean, it's 0.1 off with the assist rate. It probably could change at any point in time. Uh, They have freaking Jokic, Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr., and AG. You're thankful that Murray is back healthy. You know, Michael Porter Jr. is not dealing with any injuries right now, so that's good. They're going in the playoffs strong. Well, not strong. They're They're – losing the still games that they shouldn't be losing. But that's where I have number four. My only issues with them is defensively, and they still, you know, injuries can creep up on them. It's just more defensively that they they have lapses there. And then my fifth team, the team that I think is going to draw up a little controversy. Now, this is only if everybody is healthy. But my fifth team, and if they are healthy, they could probably move even higher but I'm going to be respectful to the teams in front of them. The Los Angeles Lakers 
are my fifth team in playoff championship contenders. If all healthy, there is not a better duo on the court than LeBron James and Anthony Davis in the NBA right now. Not one. Any team they go up against, they're the two best players on the court. Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. No, they're not. Yes, they are. No, they're not. Devin Booker, Devin not Booker is 10. a lot more consistent than Anthony Davis. Again, you're missing my point. You are missing my point. AD's issue is not just health, it's consistency. He's balling out this last month. I mean, it's a it's very good sighting to see that he goes down with the injury, comes back and drops, what, 38 and 14, 15? AD at his peak is better than Devin Booker, but yeah. he is not consistently dominant in the same way you have suggested and pointed out in the season. Oh, that, that, that's fine. I mean, if you want to make that case, you can. I think you'd lose that case because I believe AD and LeBron are just that much better than KD and Devin Booker. And no disrespect to Booker, I just think he's the lesser one. And if you want to talk defensively, I mean, AD, not, none of those guys are on AD's level defensively. I just truly believe those two guys walking on any car are the best two players in in any series they go up against. I w- If healthy, I'd favor them against Memphis. I'd favor them against Sacramento. I think they've got a real good shot to beat Denver because of their defensive liabilities. The Clippers, is Paul George going to be there? I don't know. And even if he is, I like the Lakers shot. The Warriors, who the hell is guarding AD on that team? I, and and you've spoken on Phoenix's um um their their soft man DeAndre and John has called him. If AD's going, whew, good luck with that. So my fifteen Los Angeles Lakers, they are my true sleeper. If they are healthy, and I really freaking just hope that they are, and they're hitting on all cylinders, y'all better look the hell out. I, I'm I'm with you on the Lakers. I mean, I don't have them in my top five, but I, I don't blame you for having them there. Um, I'll go with mine. Number one, I know they just got smacked by freaking 40 points, but I'm still going to roll with Milwaukee. I'm still going to roll with Milwaukee. Chris Middleton's out there, and now granted he was on the floor when they got smacked. Uh, I still believe that this team, and many have also said this, that this may be a better team than their championship team. I do think that come postseason, and like you said, Brandon, last year, if Middleton is healthy, they're probably making a run at it too. Uh, I'm going to roll Milwaukee more so. They had the experience, and I think uh, we've it, it's crazy because we've grown so used to Giannis and, and all the things that he does on the court that the, him averaging 30 points is just now something that we're just coming to expect. So the, the guy's an absolute animal, the Greek freak for a reason. I'm going to take them number one. Number two, because I truly believe the powers in the NBA – uh, and I do believe that there's a good chance your NBA champion lies in the Eastern Conference. And I'm, I'm going to go with the Boston Celtics. I know it's easy to go one, two, but I really believe this. I think Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, that duo is unstoppable. And I believe that that duo can give LeBron and AD a run for their money as one of the best duos in the NBA. Number three, then I'll go into the West. I'll go with Phoenix. Kevin Durant and that super team in Phoenix with Devin Booker. The point guard and Chris Paul, I still believe DeAndre Ayton, while John doesn't have as much faith in him as I do, uh, I do think that he can spark an offense by the snap of a finger. So I'm going to roll with Phoenix there as my number three. I'm going to kick it back to the Eastern Conference for number four. I'm going to go with Philadelphia. Now, this may be the weird one because I I know a lot of you guys don't believe in what James Harden can do. And he seems to me he's the X factor going into any playoff series for Philadelphia. I know what Joel Embiid is going to bring. 
but we do not know what version of James Harden we are going to see. If there's any postseason where we can spell any of James Harden's past mistakes in the postseason, it is now. You are not the guy. You can sit back. You can facilitate. You can score efficiently. I think we're going to see a different version of James Harden in this postseason. That was number four, am I right? All right, so number five, and this one's tough. I'm not going the Nuggets. I'm not going the Nuggets. I do not believe – I believe their defense is going to be their fall. I do believe if the Nuggets were to go into a series against a team like Sacramento that can score at will, it will pose threats to, to anything that Denver can do. I think they'll instantly hit the panic button. I don't know why I'm not so much of a believer on Denver. Maybe it's solely the defense. Uh, Jokic will be exposed defensively. He can score. He can pass. He can rebound. But he cannot guard a cone. So I'm going to go and straight up say Memphis is my fifth team in this ranking. I think John Morant healthy, back on the floor. I love what Memphis is bringing. I love the nasty attitude. And, you know, I I was hating on it earlier in the season, but I kind of love the chaos that they bring. I think uh, Memphis has a legit shot in the Western Conference this year to bring one home. Okay. Justin Reyes, high on Memphis, low on Denver. He talks about a panic button there. I think if anyone's saying the panic button, it's Doc Rivers in the playoffs. But I'm going to go five to one, fellas. At number five, I've wrestled between a couple of different teams. A couple of them are pretenders. And that's why, to me, we are ranking playoff contenders. We're not ranking regular season teams. We're ranking who we think has the best chances to go to the NBA championship this season. Number five for me is the Golden State Warriors. The best five-man lineup this year features Steph Curry, Andrew Wiggins, Klay Thompson, Kevon Looney, and Draymond Green. You have Dante DiVincenzo coming off the bench, and Andrew Wiggins is reportedly come back for the playoffs. We'll have to see how his conditioning looks after missing over a month. Hasn't played since February, but I think Wiggins' role is what it's going to be last year. He won't be asked to play anything more than that, especially with how well Klay Thompson's be able to play in his absence. Golden State is arguably the best coach in the conference. Draymond Green, who's a top two or three defender, he's still got a case for Defensive Player of the Year, even though the Warriors' defense has fallen off this year, particularly on the road. And I think a lot of their struggles this year have come against bad teams. They're going to step up to the level of the competition when it's the biggest of moments. And I'm putting my faith in the real um, favorite. Last year, they were the favorite to many people, but ultimately, they are the defending champions. At number four, I have the Phoenix Suns, a step above the Warriors. And the reason why is because I'm expecting Kevin Durant to be on the court. And I feel like I know what I'm getting. He came back, rest against the Timberwolves, but the next game he has 30 points. With Devin Burker and Chris Paul, I trust this Suns team against the Denver. If there's any team that's going to exploit Jokic defensively, it would be KD and pick and roll. Same with Devin Booker. I think the Suns, offensively from a matchup perspective, gave a lot of drop back bigs a lot of trouble in pick and roll especially. And defensively, I have my concerns with Aiton, but I really think Monty Williams has done a great job this year with a limited bench, just plugging, playing different guys. Some like TJ Warren one night, next night's Landry Shaman, Terrence Ross, a bunch of hopscotch players that aren't particularly rotation players in another team. The Suns are patching up together, and Campaign's another one of those guys as well. Number three for me, I have the Boston Celtics. In the regular season, the Boston Celtics to me are in the top two. Actually, they're in top three still because the Nuggets are ahead of them. The Celtics' concern is the fact they haven't done it yet. They don't get to the rim a whole lot, the same way the Phoenix Suns don't. I do not trust Jason Tatum quite as much as I do Kevin Durant. I trust him more 
in the postseason. But the difference for the Celtics is that they have a much better bench and more depth, more clarity with Malcolm Brogdon and Derek White, who have both been excellent this year. From a backcourt perspective, those two guards and Marcus Smart are too good to overlook. And that's just so much support around JT and JB. Now, I do think in the playoffs, Jalen Brown is also the best number two. So it's not just the Celtics have the backcourt, but they have so much support around Tatum. I think though I trust Katie more, you know what you're getting from the Celtics team. And defensively, I expect them to be better in the postseason where they've shown with a different head coach, Nima Yudoka, but the same exact roster, their scheme does work with Robert Williams. The question from them, obviously, would though be their best rim protector in Rob Will is a massive health risk, as we've seen throughout the season, missing over half the year. Number two for me above the Celtics and the Suns, I have the Denver Nuggets. And this is by far the most risky bet of the group because they're a bad matchup against the Suns. But when I look at the Western Conference, no one can guard Nikola Jokic. And I think what he does as an offensive generator is, may, is way more proven than what we've seen from Phoenix in terms of, okay, the guys went to the conference finals with a worse supporting cast. The last time he had a healthy core, he went to the conference finals. And, you know, Justin, you said he couldn't guard a comb before. And I, I take some reservations to that because he is a fine defender. In the same way, Joel Embiid may struggle and pick and roll against shooters in a perimeter-oriented league. So will Nikola Jokic. He's just not the level of an athlete or a shot block. His athleticism will get exposed. Marcus Gasol wasn't a great athlete. He won a defensive player of the year. Jokic is average. How far no did they get him in the playoffs? Against the Outside of Toronto. Don't mention that one year. You know what, Justin? Last year were the best defense in the NBA, and Steph Curry, Jordan Poole, and so on and so forth ripped them to shreds. No one could stop the Warriors last year. The Nuggets were the first test. That is not them. That's the league not being able to stop the Warriors because no, even Marcus Gasol in the finals in 2019 had trouble guarding that team, though they won. And if KD stayed healthy, no one could guard the Warriors offensively. That's why I had them in my top five. I'm not going to disrespect them. I think the Nuggets defensively are going to be just fine with Aaron Gordon, Bruce Brown, and Contavious Caldwell-Pope against every team but the Suns. The Suns are the one team where I say if they match up in a series, Jokic has to be the best player on the floor. And I think he can be. There's a little bit of health concerns with, of course, the Suns, because Chris Paul, every year like clockwork, it's hard in the playoffs. And Kevin Durant and Devin Booker have had their injury issues the last couple of years. With Jokic, he has not had the injury issues. He sat out the last two games. I look defensively. Yes, that matchup is a red flag. But altogether offensively, especially in the clutch this year, what you wouldn't recommend, the Nuggets are the number one clutch defense. 94.6 defensive rating. That is better than the 76ers with, guess who, Nikola Jokic at center. And part of the reason why is because because of how much Jokic raises your floor offensively as a playmaker, you can play off of them your four best defenders. Now, Michael Malone this year struggled with that. He hasn't played one of them, Christian Brown, quite enough off Nikola. But I think ultimately in the playoffs, I'm going to put my faith in the second best player in the world. Now, the team at number one for me has the best player in the world. Not for that reason, but one of the main reasons. The Bucks to me are number one. Giannis has proven in a playoff crucible coming off a knee hyperextension. He can do it. He has done it. And there's a lot of concerns here with Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton. But the two keys here that didn't do nothing against the Celtics in their most recent game are Joe Ingles and Jay Crowder. What are the Bucks' biggest concerns? Three-point shooting and two-way versatility. Well, Jay Crowder in 2020 was a key part of a Miami offense that was awesome. That went to the finals and defensively had that physicality. I think the bumping and bruising 
that Jay Crowder can play on the perimeter against Jason Tatum, but the end of a series could weigh him down, wear him out. Brooke Lopez this year is my defensive player of the year. The guy gets better with each. He just turned 35 years old, but like Steph Curry is playing the best basketball of his life. He's an elite rim protector, one of the two best shot blockers in the world. He's doing a lot of pick and roll with Joe Ingles. Ingles takes a lot of responsibility off Drew Holiday as both an off-ball player and on the ball and pick and roll. He can do a little bit, both of their bigs. He can space the floor. He can move it. And because he's playing next to the best front court defensively in the league, Joe Ingles' concerns as a defender moving laterally on the perimeter won't really get exposed quite as much. And the Bucks this year have placed a larger emphasis on guarding the corner three. What killed them last year in the playoffs? Grant Williams in the corner. So Bud Boone, Mike Boonholzer is one of the top 10 coaches in the league. He's not perfect. I've seen him adjust. I've seen him get a great two-way win and a really good bench four that can do a little bit of everything offensively. So my top five would be the Warriors number five. Honorable mention to the Memphis Grizzlies. At number four, the Phoenix Suns. There's some health concerns. If there weren't, I'd have them in my top three. Number three, right above them, I got the Celtics. Two, I've got the Nuggets. By the way, the Nuggets were made. They moved up three spots. The Celtics moved up one. The Suns moved up 13. I had them uh, pretty low on the standings going into the year. But number one, I have the Milwaukee Bucks. They're my number two pick in the preseason. By the end of the regular season, they've went all the way up to number one. Okay. I'd expect you to give more love to Memphis. I'll be honest with you. I thought you would have thrown them in there because you were pretty high on them just a, a week or two ago. My honorable mentions were the 76ers, who I view as a pretender. And then my other honorable mention above them was the Grizzlies. With Memphis, I love their chances this year in the Western Conference because defensively they have such a, a high floor. And I think with Jaron getting better, they really can take that step forward. But the Warriors are the most dangerous team, I think, in the Western Conference. Not the Suns, because the Suns don't have the Warriors bench. They, don't, they haven't proven it yet. I think Steph Curry, the way he plays with the fit, the role players, the Warriors, they have a system that works. And with the Suns, in the same way the Celtics don't get to the rim enough, while they're a wonderful shooting team from mid-range, Phoenix does not get to the rim quite enough either. And when I look at Memphis, they do. So the, the Grizzlies are number six right behind the Warriors. And I uh, actually had to wrestle myself there to really pick Golden State above them. Oh. I had to humble myself, actually. You know, you mentioned also Boston not getting to the rim enough. I do feel like that's just their play style. They can get to the rim. Guys like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown can score in the paint. Their style is just shoot threes. They literally yeah. preach shoot threes. And that's the concern, the three-point variance against a team like Milwaukee. But that's the thing. I'm sure that they can adapt. They're they're too smart of a team. I get it. This isn't Ime Udoka's team anymore, but they still have sort of that same philosophy. Uh, So, yeah, I I wouldn't be too concerned about that when it comes to Boston in the playoffs. I think that they're going to have to – every team has to adapt. They're going to have to change schemes every now and then. You can't rely – whatever you were relying on the regular season, probably, you know, you could stick to your bread and butter, but – Teams are going to zero in on that. I mean, I, I literally saw it with my Knicks in 2021. So it, it's uh, things need to change. And I think Boston Boston will make those, those necessary moves. Talking about Boston, Bill Belichick in the hot seat? What's going on, BC? I saw that you were on Twitter and you're, you're talking a little bit about why Lamar shouldn't go to the Patriots, but you're also very concerned you don't have a franchise quarterback. Or at the very least, you haven't, developed one in Mac Jones. The question is for Bill Belichick. Since Tom Brady has left, he's made the playoffs one time. He's had two losing seasons. 
And in that one playoff game, the Patriots got schlacked by the Bills. Brent, is Bill Belichick a Tom Brady merchant? Is this some sort of, is Bill on the hot seat if he hasn't start to make some headway in his quarterback room? Or no matter what happens, will Bill Belichick be a Patriot until he decides to retire? Yeah, I, I just, I saw this topic going around last week and I, I had to, you know, bring it up to us all. Bill, listen, for the shortcomings that has happened and for him without Brady, 79 and 87 record without Brady. And I'll go over his uh, seasons uh, throughout that, but let me just start off. Bill Belichick should not be fired. Bill Belichick's name next to the word hot seat should never be mentioned. Uh, it's an absolute disrespect. Can we acknowledge that he has had three seasons that have not been quite as successful as we have wanted? Sure. And I'll go over those in a little bit, but we can't. And I, and I know Teddy Bruschi said, uh, you know, the first time I've ever heard Bill Belichick bring up something from the past was him saying, you know, the la check the last 25 years. But I think it is, you know, you got to respect the history. Now, without Brady, or no, you know what? I want to go with this. Let's go over the guys that have had just as long or longer seasons with a single team in the history of the NFL, head coaching-wise. So we've got Chuck Knoll, John, Pittsburgh Steeler head, head coach, 23 seasons. Uh, that is tied with Bill Belichick right now. So Bill going into his, I think, 24th this year. So he'll go, he'll tie with the next guy. 23 seasons, he retired in 1991. 24 seasons, Steve Owen with the New York Giants, retired in 1953. Don Shula, Miami Dolphins, 26 seasons, retired in 1996. Curly Lambeau, didn't even know this guy. Uh, Green Bay, 29 seasons, controversial leave in 1949. Guy was actually a co-founder of the Packers in 1919. And finally, the, the longest tenured head coach with a single team, the great Tom Landry, 29 seasons with the Dallas Cowboys, was fired by Jerry Jones on, I believe, the day after Jerry took over as the Dallas Cowboys uh, owner in 1989 and went with Jerry uh, uh, Jimmy Johnson, I should say. Bill Belichick's in that rarefied air. Bill Belichick decides when he wants to walk away. I, I, I don't see how you can throw away the last 20 years uh, just because he's had a couple of down seasons and he's made, uh, you know, he made a terrible mistake last year trying to bring in, you know, Patricia and Joe Judge as the OCs and, and quarterback coach or whatever the hell their titles were. He can't throw away what he's done. I've always been a proponent. Bill Belichick and Tom Brady were 50-50. No 75-25, no 60-40, no 50-50. Do I believe Bill would have been able cuz cuz this is what people do, right? And it's 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 laughable honestly. They say give Bill, you know, they they compare what Bill has now to what Brady had in in his Tampa years, right? It's not a fair comparison. Tom went to a team that had talent around him because he needed talent because New England was bereft of any weapons for him it's not fair to it, it, it what would be fair is give 
Belichick, Aaron Rodgers, or guy a guy on Tom Brady's level to replace him, and let's see how he can actually perform. You know what I mean? Because we get we see what just Tom went through last year, eight and nine record. It's not fair what they're doing to Bill. I understand it, but he he. It's his decision to walk away. Robert Kraft, I, I, I don't know if it's going into his mind right now. I understand winning is everything. You got to start winning when you're spending this much money, but you got to give him time. Uh, I think he's making the right decisions this year. Uh, we've spoken on it. Bill O'Brien, uh, you know, getting rid of Patricia and, and uh, moving Joe Judge to uh, special teams or assistant head coach, uh, but he's going to be more involved in special teams. Now, obviously, I've you know, was not a major fan of the Juju Smith-Schuster signing. Still not a major fan because I've been proven correctly. Where's D-Hop? He's coming. He ain't coming. Uh, so, again, we have a number two receiver that is masquerading as a number one. And that's not okay with me. Again, building around Mac Jones, if we're going to build around him, we got to build around him. I think, I don't think Mac is what Tom was in his first couple of years. Tom was something out of a out of a storybook, right? Uh, people don't even know the name of his receivers when he first started, okay? And he won a Super Bowl with them. I know the defense had a majority of to do. Tom Brady led the game-winning field goal drive. Uh, and then two years later, uh, put out an absolute show in a shootout against the Carolina Panthers uh, and then beat the Philadelphia Eagles. So Mac is obviously not proven to be the guy right now. Uh, we go over it, right? His Cleveland days, five years, 36 and 44 overall. One winning season, 11 and five, went to the playoffs, one and one that year. New England, year one, they went five and 11. In year two, they were 0 and 2 before Brady took over as the starting quarterback. And there were rumors that there were some talks going around. Maybe this isn't going to work out. These guys might be on the hot seat there. And then obviously the rest is history. 2011. The Pats went 11-5 without Brady, who went down in game one uh, against the Kansas City Chiefs. They went 11-5. Sorry if I just said this, I'm redundant. That team went 16-0 the year previous with very similar players to what they had the year prior. They missed the playoffs. In 2016, he went 3-1 in the first four games during Brady's suspension with Jimmy G and Jacoby Brissett. Made Jimmy G a lot of money, didn't he? Then Brady was, however, kicked out, basically, of New England by Bill Belichick. He, he, he was unwanted, I guess is the right word to use. And Bill tried to win at the last minute by signing Cam. I think it was late into August, Justin, if I'm remembering correctly. He signed Cam Newton. And, and he just tried to shoehorn it in. Instead of going with Jared Stidham, not tanking, but starting a guy who is unequipped to be a starting caliber quarterback in the NFL, put him out there and let's go on to next season where we would have had a much better shot of possibly getting a Trevor Lawrence. No offense to Mac. Then we go into 2020 or 2021, I should say 10 and seven with Mac as a rookie promising looking good. Blown out versus the bills in the playoffs. Fine. That game had a t the, the, the interception in the first quarter uh, by Jordan Poyer, I believe it was, an insane grab, by the way. Uh, if he wasn't there, it probably would have been a touchdown. And I think that completely changed the complexion of the game, in my opinion. That that was It was done right after that. Once the pick happened, the, the whole complexion of the game changed. Then last season, 8-9. and nine. 
Bill tried some things with Patricia and Judge. Like I said, it failed. Offense was an absolute failure. It was a train wreck. Except for the run game, the passing game was just inept. So that's what Bill has done without Brady. I, again, my main point is he walks away when he wants to walk away because he is he's in rarefied air with those other guys that I named earlier. And I just can't see how, if he has a bad season this year again, I, the, again, I'm going to say the grass ain't greener on the other side, man. You get rid of Bill. Do you think that you're just going to fall upon a Jimmy Johnson? You're going to fall upon a Troy Aikman? You're going to get an Emmett Smith, a Michael Irvin, or what? You know what I mean? Like, like the Cowboys did. It, it doesn't work like that, man. So, I, I, you know, for every Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers, we have a, I don't know, name a great quarterback that went on to another one. Um, the the uh, Philip Rivers and the Chargers, you know, they now got Herbert, but they, you know, went a little bit down. Steelers with Ben to Kenny Pickett. Ben to Kenny Pickett. Yeah. Go ahead, John. I think you were right. When I framed the question at the beginning, partially in jest, is Bill Belichick in the hot seat? It's foolish. The guy is the greatest coach in my time as a fan, probably in history. 31 and 13 in the playoffs with 18 top 10 defenses. And I think back to the 2008 season with Matt Castle where they win 11 games. And Belichick is probably the best defensive coach, the best defensive mind in football. No matter what cornerback he gets from Gilmore, all the players before him to now with the Jones brothers. They're not brothers, but it feels like they are because there's four of them in the secondary. And two, I know. I think the Patriots' defense is going to be top five next season. There's so many good players on that defensive front. The secondary is going to be great because Bill Belichick's at the helm. What it comes down to is the offense. He made an excellent point before. You signed Cam Newton on June 28th, 2020, late June, he hasn't got the playbook down. He also got COVID if memory serves, and their season went spiraling downward that year after a pretty solid start above 500. Remember, they beat the Ravens. They looked pretty good that year. But so much of the NFL is about continuity, and when you lose the greatest quarterback in NFL history, and whether or not you want to talk about it, they should have kept him for five more years, they were at a point where Belichick wanted to find a new successor. You know, that's understandable. I, I think New England's issue was the fact they didn't tank that season tanking in sports is the right way to pivot the jets try to tank they went from trevor lawrence to zach wilson who will probably not pan out with the patriots they could have gone trevor lawrence that year instead they win seven games and they settled for mac jones at pick 15 who we all knew mac jones did not have upside in that class relative to the other quarterback prospects we knew he'd be the safest quarterback and so while mac was good the first couple of years when he's not in a rookie contract, you're not going to have the window. The window for the Patriots is now, but it feels like they're just not building around him successfully at tackle or at the wide receiver positions, and that's the real issue here. The, the personnel, but also the fact Bill O'Brien has to really hit. I think he will, but he also wasn't great last year at Alabama, so it's a big wait and see. Uh, I'm sorry for stealing this show a little bit, Justin, because you are the Patriot fan. There's a lot more than me. No, no, no. no you guys are good. Um, I, I, I get what you mean. You, you probably said that in jest, so he's not on the hot seat. Uh, like Brandon said, I think he's earned every every right to choose when he wants to walk away from the game. Excuse me. But um, honestly, I think looking at this Patriots team right now, I, I find it very hard to believe that we're going to finish below 500 again. I think uh, we'll see Bill Belichick with his hair on fire. I think he really wants to do something. He wants to make some noise. I, I don't think he's going to settle for another losing season. I think he got a little too cute 
with the Joe Judge Matt Patricia thing, I think he can can admittedly say he got a little too cute with it, which is why Matt Patricia is no longer is probably no longer with the organization, and Joe Judge is moving on to the role that he was actually successful with, as in special teams. So uh, I think he knows that he got a little too fancy with that, and it, it looked bad. It looked bad. You you voluntarily regressed your entire offense, and now. So we're sitting here as last season, going into last season, we were walking in there with optimism saying, oh, our quarterback had a very good rookie year. He was probably the best quarterback in that rookie class that season. And, uh, you know, things are going to change. And instead, Mac Jones looked horrible this past season. And, and, and a large part of it is due to who you surrounded him with, who was his coaches, who was his weapons. And that seems to be the resounding uh Sentiment that goes on with, with Bill Belichick is lack of investment into the offense. It's happened over and over and over again. And and I know I probably sound like a broken record saying that because every time we talk about the Patriots, it's who do we have on the offensive side? But that's the problem. Um, I had a talk with my cousin and he's a big Jets fan. And we spoke a little bit about we used to debate quite often about Brady Belichick, whose impact meant more, you know, and I used to constantly say, uh, they both benefit off of each other. My cousin would always say Belichick is more important than Tom Brady. And now, over these last couple of years, I think we're starting to see that, you know, while, yes, you can't have one without the other, it definitely helps when you have the greatest freaking quarterback of all time under center. So when you go from that to Mac Jones, you're going to see a massive drop-off. So I, I'm I'm sitting here right now thinking about the future of the Patriots and I, I can't say I see the light necessarily. I don't see light. I just see gray. I don't know what to expect. Um, I don't anticipate Belichick sticking around too much longer. How old is he now? He's turning 71 this year. Turning 71. I think uh, I think all he would like, like to do is probably set this franchise up for the future and put us in the best position for his successor, for us to succeed. Um I just don't know what exactly will, will that be. Will Mac be that guy to to ride us into the future? Because I know Belichick is going to do his best to put us in position. I just don't know if our quarterback under center is that person to help him do so. Well, yeah. I mean, in terms of one of the early points you made, all you got to do is look at uh, the where the money's being spent on our team. It's majority of it's on the defense and O-line. Mm-hmm. In our weapons room, a tight end's getting money more to – due to Hunter Henry's contract. Um well offensively it's 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 the 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 numbers are, you know, there's a gap there. In terms of Belichick, how long he's gonna stay around, I mean I don't know. Uh because you know five, hell ten years maybe, I, I don't know. Uh it seems like I've always, you know, questioned like what is Bill gonna do if he isn't coaching? I mean, the guy really doesn't have any hobbies, really. I think he's a golf guy and a fishing guy, or a sailor. Uh, he likes to sail his boat. But that's that's you can only do that so much before you get bored out of your mind and you want to go back to doing what you you know you love. See Tom Brady when you are obsessed with something, you want to get back into it. Uh, so I don't know. Uh, I think obviously things on Bill's mind are number one is breaking Don Shula's all-time uh, winning record. Uh, I think that's number one on his list. Uh, and I think, or you know what? No, I'd say number one is probably winning a Super Bowl without Brady. And number two is the, the Don Shula record. Uh, I would, I would say that, listen, when we first started, 
and even I think a year prior to that, I told you guys, I believe my, my New England Patriots are going to win a championship in the next five years. It's been a rough go. Obviously, they have made decisions that I would not have made when I when I made that uh, uh, premonition, I guess you would say. Is that the right word? I don't know. Um, prediction for in layman's terms, terms. I saw a nice, bright future, like Justin said. I, I saw that light, right? It quickly dimmed down when we signed, you know, Cam Newton. But then it kind of came back up the next year, and I saw Mac Jones in his rookie year, and I was like, you know what? We can build off of that, right? He's got flashes, but we got to build off that. And it regressed again last year because of the moves that were made. I'm I'm again wavering because we bring in Juju when the obvious move was to bring in DeAndre Hopkins. And I just don't know how it's going to work. We he Bill has never hit on a receiver in the first round. I think even the first couple rounds, not counting tight ends. I don't know. Um, so for me, I I hope. Um, I don't know about that five-year prediction anymore. Uh, I still think we have a top five defense. I think we have a top O-line. I think that we can, with a move here and there, we can be right there in contention because I do truly believe that. The moves just have to be made. That That's really it. And I, again, they're, the moves that I thought were out there to be made when I made that prediction have not been made. And that's why I've kind of, you know, come down on that a little bit. The concern is probably a lack of getting in with the times. If you can't hit a receiver in the draft today, well, you're really capping your offense. John, you hit it on a nail on the head. I, I've been saying that forever. And the thing is, that's one thing I try to get through with Brandon because me and Brandon will debate about certain moves. And he's like, oh, he's not going to go after that number one. He may not, but that's the problem. You need to draft him. You, you, need, to, you, you need to draft one you, or, or go acquire one. But if you're not going to change with the times, things are changing in the NFL. Like I said, if 12 isn't under center, you can't expect the same results. It, it's it's not how that's it's going to be. That's why I said to go get Hop. No, I don't, I, and that's what I'm saying. Hop. I don't understand why signing Juju puts us out of that. We need to go get him. We can. Justin, yes. Justin, and that's why I cringe been... when I see the Bijan Robinson mock drafts the Patriots at 14. They've reminded oh, that's, that, that's, that's, that's What ludicrous. are we doing? Um, Running back in the top 15? That's, I want to take job in the top 10. Whoever's making that prediction doesn't understand football and doesn't know Bill Belichick. Um Justin, but again, please hit me with the report that says DeAndre Hopkins is coming to New England because every report that I've read over the last week or two has been we're out, we're out, no interest. The contract is the issue. He's more, he's interested in Buffalo. He's sending Instagram stories. KC is involved. So again, you keep saying, why are we out of it by getting Juju? Example. A, B, C, and D right here. We're not involved anymore. There's no more discussion. It's not a coincidence we get Juju a week later. We're out of the conversations with D-Hop. Oh, we're, point I, I is, believe we're out because we're not changing our ways. That's why. I, I don't agree with that. I think – I agree with that we're not changing our ways because he's, he's bringing in Juju thinking he's going to be a number one, and he's not. So, I, I again, that's my whole point is was I'm not mad at the Juju signing. Make the D-Hop trade first. Then worry about a number two. We need to secure a one. I think we're, uh, we're uh, really on that. Yeah. So, like, let's work on the one first. And you say draft one. 
you really want I think that's a waste of a 14th pick. We've seen his history. He's not gonna hit. They don't we don't develop receivers in the first or second round very well. We can't hit them. Which is why we need to acquire them. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. That's the biggest issue. Listen, we're we're agreeing. We have the same point. We're just both mad. That's yeah. it. You're, <laughs> mad Patri- you're mad Patriot fans, KTM can't draft a receiver. Part of getting in with the Times is being able to be one of the Harry. 10 team. Part of getting in with the Times is being one of the teams that can hit on a wide receiver. When you talk about teams like the Giants, they've picked running backs or receivers. We talk about the Ravens, they've just kind of picked the rod once. Marquis Brown, he's good, but he's not a home run. Rashad Bateman, he's solid, but not number one. Nice rhyme, John. I think ultimately with New England, you have four different receivers in this class. Zay Flowers, who I think they're going to take at 14. That's my prediction. I think he can be a wide receiver number one, and he could be the best receiver from this draft class. He's gotten bigger. He's a hell of a player. Quentin Johnston, Jackson Smith, and Jigma, who is a slot receiver. I wouldn't like him to go with the Patriots. And the last receiver, there's a couple different ones. Josh Downs, Jalen Hyatt out of Tennessee. I look at those guys. They're good. But I think a Jordan Addison, who could be a great number two, not for the Patriots, is a good receiver. You need to take Zay Flowers, I think, in this draft. And if he can develop into a wide receiver one, then we can stop talking about acquiring 30-year-old receivers with a massive cap hit that are probably about to start regressing, hit the tail end of their prime. So opposed to trading assets for DeAndre Hopkins, why not just use that asset, save the cap space, and get a receiver with more durability long-term? That's not going to be 32 in two years or 33. And honestly, can give you similar production. That is the big thing here. You shouldn't have to trade for receivers. That's what teams like the Jets do that can't draft them. Uh, Before, of course, LeBron showed Douglas. He's done a great job in the draft, finding Garrett Wilson. But teams that can't draft make trades that they regret in hindsight. So for New England, you have to hand a receiver in the draft. It's as simple as that. You can hand defensive players. You can develop them. But in today's day and age, unless you have Patrick Mahomes or Tom Brady, you need to be able to draft receivers to then actually elevate your talent. And that's that's literally in the discussion, I think. I don't think Buffalo and Miami are regretting the trades they made for wide receivers. Because they, it helps. They have Josh Allen and also one whoa, of the best whoa, offensive whoa, minds. Wait, no? wait, wait, wait. Who is Josh Allen before Stephon Diggs? Okay, fair enough. But That's what I'm saying. If, if Matt Jones gets DeAndre Hopkins, that could change life. Look at what Tom Brady was before Randy Moss came in. He was a 25-27 touchdown guy, jumped to 50. Looked at completely differently. Mac. I don't think he'll make that type of jump. Mm-hmm. But if Mac has a guy like DeAndre Hopkins that he can go on a play that maybe breaks down or, or they need a third down conversion, I can look to D-Hop and say, I'm going to get you this ball. I'm aware. But That's it's what a matter I'm of it, it, it can work. It, it, it really can. I understand your point about drafting a receiver and developing. I'm looking at the history of our team. We have not done that well. Okay. Julian Edelman's not walking through those doors. Okay. Trading for a Wes Welker and developing him like that is not walking through those doors. We did that with Jacoby Myers. Maybe we can do it again with another guy. Jacob- Jacoby Myers walked. Okay, we let him walk. My whole point was with D-Hop is we get a proven one. Because like you said, John, we got to win on the rookie contract, right? I can't be waiting on a receiver to develop. I need him now. D-Hop can give me a 1,000 plus yards now. But haven't we seen Jamar Chase, Jettis, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave? Like, yeah, but is that, is that in the draft? That class, Mon- Amon Ross St. Brown is a fourth-round pick in the slot. That's five okay, different receivers. On, he got man. 900 yards or more in their rookie season. But, that, but that's the thing. More. That's that's looking at it a glass half full, acting like we can actually develop receivers because we can't. Yeah. Get good. Get good. Well, we, we need to make that true. And you know what? Come draft time, uh, they, I mean, I, I've heard that the, the price for D-Hop should reduce 
to a, a, a low draft pick because nobody's going to give you a second or a first for D-Hop right now. Nobody. And if you do, you're crazy. The issue is uh, the contract hit. The contract, exactly. So no, nobody's going to pay a premium for that for that contract. I think Patriots need to go out there and make an instant win-now move. And it's it's a shame that I get it. You're sticking with the old times, but these are not the old times, man. It's We're already four years really. removed from it. He's gone. Yeah. And add on with Hopkins real quick. DeAndre is a top five receiver from our era with AJ Green, Antonio Ooh. Brown, Julio, all those players that were all pro. He's also 31, and I don't want to have to give him his next contract going to his age 35 season. That, oh, we're not that's, giving that's him where no, I come no, no, from, no, no, you know? Because no, no, no. he's got a $22 million cap hit this year, and it's going to be 32. By the end of next season, he'll be turning 33. Yeah. If we're trading a second round or let's say an early third round pick, right? The 70 some off pick to get him or the 80th. You're going to probably have to extend him because you're going to want to keep him if you're giving up a draft pick to get him, right? Mm -hmm. So if you extend him to a deal and he wants to stay in New England, you're not to get the money. I just feel like if you're going to overpay him in his mid-30s, that's where I would rather draft the receiver because I've seen the floor of those guys a lot higher than you make it out to be. I don't think it's as much a matter of developing receivers today. It's about picking the one that fits your system. And if you do, they're going to produce the way we have seen in the last couple of years more and more because the receiver position continues to get more and more stacked. And the rule advantages favor that position over corner. We we, we wouldn't extend uh, D Hop just just again see the Randy Moss deal, where Randy I think was similar age. Uh, I don't know if he was getting paid a lot of money. He was in Oakland, so I'd imagine he was getting paid a lot of money because they've made a lot of stupid deals. Uh, I think we gave up a fifth and a sixth of Randy Moss, uh, and we didn't extend him after that. Uh, he, so then you have an issue. You don't have a wide receiver one in two years. So you're gonna have the same exact problem that you could have solved had you just taken that receiver. Oh, see, but that's the thing. We, 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 we pivoted and we got Gronk and Aaron Hernandez with Wes Welker. We pivoted. We we did the right things. We haven't done that. We got Janu and Hunter Henry, and then guess what? We freaking got Matt Patricia and Joe Judge to f everything up. It, like there were good pivots that these teams made. He made a bad pivot move by getting those guys and ruining everything. Janu not not hitting obviously. It, again, I just feel D Hop could change life, or a guy like a D Hop could change life for us. Oh, frustrated Patriots fans right here. Yes, yeah, as you guys are coming from. With all that being said, the Denver Nuggets are the second best team in the NBA, and also with D Hop. He's not going to the Patriots. They're taking his flowers. Why not both? No. Oh, my God. Candyland. Again. Hey, man. I'm just saying. Candyland. You want to invest in the offense? You do it there. Too much. Yeah. Final thoughts? No, just listen. I had a great time last night watching WrestleMania 39 night one. It was a great entertainment show. Night two is tonight. So George Kittle came out. George Kittle did come out. He clotheslined the hell out of the Miz. Pat McAfee showed up. Uh, it was a great old time. Snoop Dogg was there. It was a great entertainment. I got a text from my brother at like 1045 at night during the Rhea Ripley-Charlotte Flair match. And he's like, "Week uh, night one was pretty weak. Night two better hit. And I was like, dumbfounded. I was like, dude, night one has been freaking great. There's only been one dud of a match. Everything else has been incredible. Did you guys see the things I sent you with Logan Paul? And all those things going did you see that? I love, I love Logan I didn't get Paul. WrestleMania. Oh, you got to watch it, dude. I sent love it on there where, where KSI gets pulled. He's wearing the prime bottle. He gets pulled onto the announce table. Logan Paul is jumping off the top rope and splashes oh, wow. him. And you can see Logan Paul's face reacting midair to like, oh, shit, it's KSI, not Seth Rollins. Uh, it was just 
it was just a great night overall. It's it's sports entertainment. It, it's I I effing love wrestling. I, I don't care what anybody says. It's 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 male soap opera. It, it's awesome. it's it's great, and uh, I can't wait for night two. Cause and listen, they got a tough act to follow because night one was great. So night two, time to follow that. Yep. And last thing before I go, before we end up leaving, uh, opening weekend this week uh, from baseball. What a exciting one it was, man. I went to the game, smelled the popcorn, the hot dogs, Italian sausages on the grill, had myself a nice pulled pork sandwich, got to enjoy some Yankees baseball and in fitting fashion to start the season. First home run in the MLB year goes to one and only number 99, Aaron Judge, picking up where he left off. Uh, The stadium was absolutely rocking. Baseball is back, baby. And uh, I'm telling you, like I said before, seasonal depression is over, man. This is my this is my season. How's your phone? What happened, Brandon? Well, how was your tummy? My tummy? Oh, it was After fun. the pulled pork sandwich. Oh, no, it felt great, bro. Okay, good. I, I felt fantastic. Great. I felt fantastic. But, no, baseball's back, like I said. Uh, the stars are shining. Like I said, Judge is kicking it off well. Julio Rodriguez is picking off after his electrifying rookie season. DeGrom is getting shelled out in Texas after leaving the Mets. It's some stuff you like to see. Oh, man. It's, guys, you guys got to watch baseball this year, man. Shohei Otani. I did. I watched the Houston. I today. did try. I did put it on. I tried. No, you made me happy, John, when I saw you tweet about Aaron Judge. Uh, that, now down to the man. I mean, that was awesome. I'm excited yeah. to see them cap off this uh, three-game series versus the Giants. Uh, Michael Conforto versus New York. He's from the Mets. It's, it's yeah, going to be a fun baseball Jeff season. has a couple of Mets on that squad. He do. But, Listen, I actually, I actually cannot wait. Hopefully we do, because we've been trying to set it up going to the baseball game this summer. Hopefully Yankees, Red Sox. I actually can't wait. More just to see you guys. And we'll mm-hmm. again, but, Get to watch the Yankees clap uh, the Sox. No, they don't. <laughs> That's right. So yeah, man, that looking forward to it. It's going to be a fun season, I think. And we're going to have more and more MLB discussion. Justin and I shortly, maybe BC will get to stick around as well. And I think the Yankees, this could be the year for number 28. No, 28? 28. It's happening. And, you know, they say the third time's a charm. They say that that every year, though, don't they? I see that hashtag, like, every year. Hashtag road to 28. Chase. Chase for 28. We'll see. With all that being said, that'll wrap up episode number 90 of the Wise Guys podcast. If you enjoyed, be sure to like and follow for more content like this. And as we said, be sure to check out the Patreon as well if you'd like to support the show. And as always, we'll see you next time. Love you guys. Stay classy.